From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to my little audio imaginarium. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Congratulations. You have found us. Welcome aboard. You're among friends. Ian Robertson is uh, back. Our rockabilly friend is here twisting the knobs and the dials. And, of course, Albert Vinzel is also here. And it's Albert's birthday. Albert, happy birthday. Thanks, he says, in a very nonchalant way, as is his manner. Uh, he's a hard-working fellow, and we appreciate everything he does for us. Uh, L.A. Marzuli is hot on the trail of the Nephilim, and he's standing by to join us here on The Conspiracy Show in mere moments. Albert and I have also posted the usual assortment of tantalizing tidbits and interesting stories up at the website at uh, strangeplanet.ca. Remember now, we've we've relaunched and rebranded the website. It's now strangeplanet.ca. And once you go there, just find the radio page. You scroll down, there's a TV page for our TV show. There's a radio page, a live event page. Just go to the radio page for The Conspiracy Show. Click on it. Uh, and up at the top, there's a slide carousel. Uh, and you'll see all these wonderful little uh, stories that we've posted. And if you aspire, for example, to becoming an astronaut... There's a how-to guide from space.com, uh, which includes some inside dope on NASA's selection process, which you might find interesting, so you can find out if you've got the right stuff. Uh, here's another one. You can file this one under suspicions confirmed, perhaps. Uh, we've talked about this a lot on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, fluoride. Uh, in fact, we also have produced an episode on fluoride for Season 4 of our television program, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, the potential dangers of fluoridating our public water supply. And there's a new study out of Harvard University uh, that says fluoride may cause a number of different uh, disorders. So you'll want to check out that as well. Uh, there's also an intriguing story about former CIA director John McCone uh, and whether or not he was part of the JFK assassination cover-up uh, and whether or not he perjured himself before the Warren Commission. So, uh, those are just a few of the uh, stories posted in the slide carousel at strangeplanet.ca. Uh, my first guest will be joining me on stage Wednesday, November the 4th. It is fast approaching. It's at the Oise Auditorium. The University of Toronto, St. George campus. It's right there on Bloor Street, the Oise Auditorium, the Ontario Institute for Secondary Education. Um, and the live event is called As in the Days of Noah. We'll be talking about giants, the return of the Nephilim, the alien abduction phenomenon, and uh, understanding the trumpet days of Noah. L.A. Marzuli has penned eight books, including the Nephilim Trilogy, which made the CBA bestsellers list. He received an honorary doctorate for this series from his mentor, Dr. I.D.E. Thomas. Um, and he, his new series is On the Trail of the Nephilim. It's a full-color, oversized book which uncovers startling evidence that there's been a massive cover-up of what he believes are the remains of the Nephilim, the giants mentioned in the Bible. He's now working on another volume in the series, which promises to have even more incredible and revealing photographs and interviews. L.A. Marzuli, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? 
I'm really good, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. My pleasure, and we're we're, we're so looking forward to having you, you up here in Toronto in just a couple of weeks. And um, I'm guessing that uh, you'll also be talking about. I mean, you've been to uh, South America. Uh, uh, I mean, you're not just a, th- a theorist and a researcher. You get in there, you get your hands dirty, don't you? What did you go down there looking for, Peru specifically? Well, um, we first what basically alerted me to this was someone sent me a video with Brian Forrester. Uh, in what is what is I've been visited this this particular museum now numerous times the Paracas History Museum in Paracas Peru all these elongated skulls and they were just unbelievable and I contacted Brian and one thing led to another and uh, we flew down there that became the basis for um, Watchers six in the series we've got now have nine of those of the Watchers in the Watchers series but that trip to Peru in 2013 became the the nexus for uh, Watchers six. And it was absolutely incredible. I mean, almost a trip of a lifetime. Since then, I've been back uh, two other times, planning to go back again fairly soon. Uh, there's so much to see down there. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I've been to Ohio. I've been to Teotihuacan uh, in, in Mexico, the huge pyramids there, Corral, the, the, one of the oldest, in fact, the oldest pyramidal site in the Americas, um, the Great Serpent Mounds in Ohio, uh, the Circle Mound and the Octagon Mound Complex in Ohio. So, yeah, I mean, I'm out in the field a lot. Uh, it's really the only way a person, you know, reading books is great, reading data is great, seeing pictures is wonderful, but nothing beats being boots on the ground. Absolutely nothing beats it. No, that's true, absolutely. Uh, because then you can speak from a point of, of, of absolute credibility, which you can, of course. Now, sort this out, because there is some confusion. We have, of course, the mention in uh, in, in Genesis uh, about the fallen angels commingling with the daughters of men, uh, and then they created uh, this race called the Nephilim, and we, we, we also have mention in uh, a, a book which is part of the Apocrypha, uh, the book of Enoch, talking about the Nephilim. So sort this out. Uh, differentiate between the fallen angels, the Nephilim, and um, the relationship to, say, the, the giants mentioned in the Bible. Well, it, it's really very interesting when we when we actually get into the biblical narrative, specifically the biblical prophetic narrative. What we see in a book, the first book, Genesis, in Genesis three, chapter three, we get this weird sentence, um, and it says this: "There's the people that are in that scene." Um, are the Most High God, El Elyon, Yehovah, uh, the fallen cherub, Hasatan, or Satan, as most people know him, and then Adam and Eve. Now, you know, some people out there are already rolling their eyeballs, you've got to be kidding me. But just bear with me. Here's what it says. It says, the seed of the serpent will be at enmity with the seed of the woman. He shall crush your head, you shall bruise his heel. It's the first prophecy in the Bible. And it's talking about the Messiah. And what that sets up is a seed war. We know that right from Genesis 3. You know, the seed of the serpent will be at enmity at war with the seed of the woman. He shall crush your head, crush the serpent's head. You shall bruise his heel. It, it's an unbelievable, uh, unbelievably pregnant passage of Scripture. What's even more astonishing is when we go to three chapters over to Genesis 6, we see the fulfillment, partial fulfillment of this, as the seed war is, is, in full, is in full regalia, if I can use that word. It's full-blown. And we see uh, and we read about the unthinkable. The sons of God see that the daughters of men are beautiful. They desire them. They come to earth, 
and they take wives from whoever they wanted to. Uh, they impregnate these women, and the offspring are what is known as a hybrid being, the Nephilim. Again, the Nephilim are a hybrid being between the fallen angelic hosts of heaven and the women of earth. Um, I've written basically nine books that in some ways deal with it directly or indirectly, all centered around the Nephilim. And, of course, at the, at your, at the conference, which I can't wait to get up there and, and, and meet everybody up there and, and uh, spend the day one night only, but I'll be talking about uh, the Nephilim. I know I've only got about 90 minutes, and uh, it, the information will be, I'll be going very quickly because there's so much I want to share, so much, you know. And, and look, the slides themselves, the pictures are, are, are incredible. So if you're listening to this and you're in the area, man, come out to this. It's going to be a great conference, and, uh, you know, can't wait to share with the folks up in Toronto. But the Nephilim are the unholy byproduct the unholy hybrid entity uh, between that, that marriage, if I can use that word, between the fallen angels, the fallen angels and the women of earth. Uh, and this is the reason for the flood of Noah. What we see, which is chilling to think about, is that this, this war continues and continues right up until modernity. We know that the son of perdition, the Antichrist, will literally be, in my opinion, a modern-day Nephilim. He will be the offspring of the fallen cherub and some woman someplace on this planet. And I realize that sounds wacky, but that's what's going on, and I'm holding to it. Well, uh, are, are the Nephilim always uh, uh, giants? I mean, we, 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 we know about the, the uh, Greek mythology, and we know about this, the Titans, uh, and just about every civilization, every culture on Earth has a similar tale. Uh, but, I mean, you talk about these elongated skulls uh, that have been uncovered. How do they relate to, the, to for example, a race of giants? Or are they the same thing? Well, remember, the race of giants, we know, um, are, definite, are, are definitely uh, occur. Or, let, me, let me back it up. The race of giants that we first hear about in the Genesis 6 account um, happens in, in, in before the flood. After the flood, there's another... Uh, outbreak. There's another occurrence, um, and that a lot of people want to argue that and say it, it didn't happen, but I believe it did. The passage of scripture is very clear and it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards, when the sons of God saw the daughters of men went into them, had children by them, they became the great men of renown. What we're looking at, in my opinion, is some sort of a breeding program, which has gone on uh, in antiquity and continues uh, even into modernity with the hybrids that we are now seeing manifest on the planet. And I'll get to that in a second. Very interesting story here. But what, we're, what, we're, what, what I would put forth or posit would be this, that the fallen cherub is attempting to make man in his own image. And when we actually get into later biblical accounts, Yes, there are giants like Og, or Og, King of Bashan, whose uh, bed might have been, he might have been as tall as 14 feet, and we don't know. But he's a really big guy. Goliath, somewhere between 9 and 12 feet. And a 9-footer is huge, okay? And of course, uh, we, Mo get... Moses, sent, Moses sent Joshua and his spies into Canaan to, uh, to investigate, and they came back with reports of, of, of uh, giants as well. Listen, uh, L.A., we've got to take a time out. We'll come back. Okay. And we'll uh, continue to talk about 
the Nephilim, and he is hot on the trail of ne- the Nephilim, coming to Toronto Wednesday, November the 4th. L.A. Marzuli, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Do not go away. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. L.A. Marzuli is with us, live from Los Angeles. So, L.A., these elongated skulls that you saw in, in, I mean, they're on, nobody's hiding them, right? They're right there for public display in, in, in Peru. But how do we know that these, I mean, how do you differentiate between, uh, what is perhaps a Nephilim skull? I mean, indeed, the, the product of a human alien hybrid. Uh, well, we say alien, we mean fallen angels. Uh, or, I mean, we know that cultures back then, the Mayans and so forth, they would, uh, they would, elo- they would elongate their skulls, um, as part of a sort of a cultural practice, which is kind of interesting. What, what were they emulating? But how do you differentiate between what you believe is an authentic Nephilim skull and a human skull that has been elongated through different processes, you know, b- virtually from birth as a cultural practice? Well, that, that's a great question, and, and here's the deal. We can't. We don't know. We can only speculate, and I make that very clear. Um, however, there are some anomalies in, in the elongated skulls which don't fit the normal human paradigm. For instance, the cranial capacity in some of the skulls is 25 to 30% larger. One. Two, um, many of the skulls show an absence of a sagittal suture, which would split the parietal plate into two left parietal and right parietal, that's missing. Three, there's a lithograph from 1842 uh, showing uh, a fetus that was recovered from a mummy uh, that was discovered, uh, and when they opened up the mummy, they discovered that the, that the woman that was in there, was mummified, was pregnant. So they wanted to see what the fetus looked like. So they went in, and lo and behold, there's a fetus from 1842. There's a lithograph of it. It's actually reproduced in my book with an elongated skull. Now, you can't elongate the skull of a child in the mother's womb. It's impossible. So there are, we're not sure what we're looking at. The Paracas people show up on the shores of Peru about 3,500 years ago, which fits the timeline of the conquest of Canaan, when Joshua and Caleb are pushing into what I would call Nephilim Central. There are giants there, but there are also other tribes of Nephilim which seem to have different genetic characteristics. For instance, the long necks is one of the uh, names that are attributed to one of the Nephilim tribes. So these coneheads, they're not giants. I get that. We have no idea what we're looking at. Preliminary DNA testing, and, and before everybody gets on their high horse about the DNA testing, you know what, folks? No one's taking skulls out of there. But some, some people, some researchers... Uh, are taking small uh, bits of DNA uh, for testing, like a, a bone fragment, um, things like that. Uh, no one, no one that I know is taking anything out of the country illegally. What I mean by that is like you know entire skulls. But uh, I know that uh, Lloyd Pye, who passed away several years ago, yes, took out some small bone samples, and they were tested, and the mitochondrial DNA uh, didn't link up with anything. It was completely unknown. Now. Um, immediately, geneticists and everybody else on the Darwinian side of the aisle will cry, oh, this must be contaminated, and that's why. And I get that, and that's why we're on the trail. Uh, we've got resources. 
We're desperately trying to get back down there, get permission. We will take multiple samples from multiple skulls and get everything tested and present the findings to the world. Um, these people, whatever they were, are extremely enigmatic. We believe that, that uh, in, or I, I personally believe, in the idea of diffusionism rather than isolationism. Uh, these are two uh, positions that archaeologists continue to fight over. Isolationism declares that people don't move around, that they're isolationists, that they stay in one place. Diffusionism says, nope, that's not the case. People are curious. They'll trade. They'll go through great lens to get a piece of flint or some new technology from somebody else. I mean, the one that the Western civilizations all know is Marco Polo. But, you know, look, look at the explorers. Look at the, look at the uh, you know, Columbus, quote-unquote, so-called discovery of America. Meanwhile, there's about 6 million people living over here or whatever. That figure's probably too high. But at least 3 million people are living in, in, the, in the Americas when Columbus comes over. So he, he discovered it for the, for the European culture, but he certainly didn't discover it. I digress. The bottom line is Thor Heyerdahl, uh, in two books, Contiki and Ra, uh, proved that you could sail across, in Ra specifically, you could sail across the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean from, you could go out the delta in Egypt, the, the delta, you know, the, uh, the Nile, delta, Nile River Delta there, uh, build a boat out of a pirate, throw a sail on that thing, go out the Mediterranean, and you wind up in Barbados without doing doodly squat, without any compass, without any knowledge of anything, the trade winds will blow you to Barbados. And this is our whole point. We believe that 3,500 years ago, when these Nephilim tribes were being annihilated by Joshua and Caleb, and that's all in the biblical narrative, that these tribes left the area. Some went northward, some hopped on, on makeshift boats, not raft boats, and not makeshift, I should, I should rephrase that, you know, handcrafted boats, and sailed into the Americas and settled it here. Isn't it interesting that Native Americans talk about these tall, six-fingered, red-haired, red-haired giants that were in Milan, who were cannibalistic? This is exactly what we read in the biblical narrative. And over here in the Americas, we seem to have proof. Um, there's also an ongoing cover-up uh, with the giants uh, and the bones, and that, that continues, even, even with my findings, um, which, I'll, which I'll show you, on uh, November 4th, the cropped picture of the giant, which should be in the picture, but it's not. It's been cropped. It's now, it was hanging up in the museum on Catalina. Since they've moved to the new, new museum, I don't know whether they, that picture is still there or not. Let me give you the backstory. A couple of years back, uh, Jim Watson, who, was, who lives over on the island, gave me a tip and said, look, they just found a cache of records. Uh, John Borgina, the former curator, uh, of the museum, but then the curator of the museum in Catalina, uh, had discovered a cache of records that had been lost, basically. And these records were from none other than the primitive archaeologist uh, by the name of Ralph Glidden, who was employed by the High Museum between 1919 and 1921 to uncover artifacts and graves and what have you on the Channel Islands. The Channel Islands are a group of islands from Santa Barbara to San Diego on the West Coast, uh, the Catalina is right outside uh, of Los Angeles. I see it almost daily uh, from, from where I live in the Santa Monica Mountains. So I'm in there. It takes me about eight months to get permission. I give a $1,000 donation. More than happy to give that. Uh, and they allow me in. I'm there alone uh, with John Borgina for 10 hours. Uh, and Jim Watson was there also. 
pouring over every photograph, every every journal entry, everything. I read everything in 10 hours, okay? Looked at everything. Took uh, copious notes, lots and lots of pictures. I hit pay dirt within an hour. Because the first thing I asked for were the, photogra the photographs. And they brought out uh, these museum boxes. And in those museum boxes are Manila folders. And everything's been labeled. And the, the pictures are in the folders, some of them in, in plastic cases. And I, I began to pour over the pictures. And within a short time, uh, had three or four pictures which I consider painter, elongated skulls, six-fingered, nine-footers, and the classic one, which was on the History Channel, uh, which they had me on as a guest, and I talked about my research with the Vieira brothers uh, for their, their season finale in search of a lost giant. They had nothing. I had the picture. I discovered the picture. It's my intellectual property. I'm the guy that, that, that found it. Nobody else did. I'm also the guy that had three people look at the picture, and uh, when I say three people... Uh, three technicians look at the picture, digitize the picture, and based on artifacts in the picture and Ralph's good height, known height of five foot eight, were able to ascertain, ascertain rather, that the giant in front of Glidden was about nine feet. We rounded it down to about eight foot six, not to be sensationalistic. Most of them put it above eight foot nine. So we got basically we've got a nine footer there. Okay. That's a lot bigger than Robert Waldo. Waldo, the. Uh the, the tallest man that ever supposedly lived, isn't it? Wait, say that again, Richard? I'm saying that the, the uh, I think that the tallest man that ever lived, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, is uh, uh, was uh, Robert. I think it was Waldo or Wadlow from yeah, yeah, Ohio. Yeah. So this 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 beats that, and of course he had, you know, m major medical implications, major problems. major medical issues. And the thing is, we found two skeletons out in Catalina that that were just around nine feet. One of them was six fingers. We found elongated skulls. All that's not supposed to be there. No. And here's the deal. I went public with this. You know, in my book, I'm a Trail of a Nephilim 2, November 4th, I will be talking about this. You'll see the pictures for yourself. It's going to be a great 90 minutes. Can't wait to do it. The bottom line is when I went back to the museum with my business partner and the producer or director of Watchers, Richard Shaw, we went to the museum to film me in the museum. Now, the Ralph Gooden display had, for the most part, been taken down and reduced in size from what was the whole museum, the old museum, to one small room in the old museum. And the picture, which I had discovered, which until I discovered it, was in a manila envelope, had never seen a lot of day, the public certainly didn't see it, was now up on the wall, blown up, probably by two foot by one foot, maybe a little bit bigger than that, uh, two feet wide, 18 inches uh, tall, that type of deal. And there it was, except, except they had cropped the giant out of the picture. <laughs> so this obfuscation continues even even until the present day. Well, when these when these discoveries were made, and and there is a paper trail. When you go back to the New York Times, the archives, and uh, you you read accounts. Uh, uncovering in these burial mounds. I mean, we've we've talked on this program about Abraham Lincoln in a speech at Niagara Falls referring to yes. the giants in those mounds. But there is an actual paper trail. You have archaeologists uh, writing to museum directors. Uh, I believe even the Smithsonian saying we have found these things. So, but we have the paper trail, and and yet we have no uh, no large you know skeletal remains on exhibit anywhere. Uh, I mean, this it would have to be. A, con a conspiracy of monumental, uh, um, you know, uh, respects in order to keep something like this quiet. I mean, who, 
who ultimately is making the decision that these things will not be shown to the public? Well, I have no idea. Only that someone somewhere is attempting to control the information, which is incredibly unscientific and totally disingenuous. Uh, there's a party line, which is Darwinism, and uh, Darwinism basically states that there is no supernatural. And the giants and the remnants of the giants and the artifacts of the giants seem to point to a supernatural incursion by entities from another world, i.e. fallen angels. And this is what's at stake, and this is why it's, it's basically a, I don't want to use the word a war of ideologies, but it, it certainly is a contest between what paradigm, what worldview, best answers our origins. And it certainly isn't Darwinism, in my opinion. Well, the other problem with, with the existence of giants uh, millennia ago is, uh, as you mentioned, with, with evolution, uh, it runs contrary. It doesn't, it doesn't fit because we should be starting out shorter and getting taller, according to natural selection and so forth, and yet we have records of nine-foot specimens, and uh, that doesn't square, does it? Well, it, it, and, and this, this is part of the problem with it, yes, that, that what we're showing, um, the evidence in my books, which is, in my opinion, it becomes, in, you know, incontrovertible at, at some point. You just, you know, here's the evidence, look for yourself, you tell me what's going on. And, you know, you can try to dismiss it, uh, and most people that dismiss it have never examined the, the evidence. So they think they know what they know, but they don't know it. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And that's the bottom line. And many people that look, that are looking or that just dismiss this have never done their homework. Um, there's, the, the evidence is overwhelming that there were giants in the Americas. Uh, the Mayans, the Incas talk about giants. It's, it's a global phenomenon. It's happened everywhere. Um, I was just on a phone call with a very interesting individual, um, and I can't really get into this. This was tonight, though, Richard. Um, and as this unfolds, I'll be talking more about it. This man wants to come on the record because uh, he has information, um, and that's about all I can say, but um, of a very large, very large giant that was uh, discovered fairly recently. And uh, that's all I can say about it. Um, uh, the, the, the forces that went up against it killed it, so it's no longer alive. Uh, he estimated it well over 15 feet tall. All right. When we come back, L.A., I, I want you to put something to rest for me that has sort of confounded me for many years, uh, and that is you know, based on my limited understanding of Scripture, and that is something I've never been able to wrap my, heads around, my head around, and that is uh, how you can create a hybrid from fallen angels. I think of angels, I think of demons as being spirit. Is it possible that they could uh, create hybrids with humans? Can they mate with humans? We'll talk about that and much more. L.A. Marzuli, my guest, hot on the trail of the Nephilim, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Fallen Angels with L.A. Marzuli. Uh, L.A., uh, explain to me how angels, and I think of them as being spirit, essentially, um, how they could create, and we're talking fallen angels now, how they could create hybrids. Is it possible for fallen angels to mate, to, to uh, procreate with humans? 
it, it's a great question, and, and no one has sat down uh, and interviewed a fallen angel um, that I'm aware of. Uh, we only know from the biblical narrative, which states that in the days, uh, specifically not only in, the, in, the, in Genesis 6, but in the apocryphal book, you mentioned it earlier, the book of Enoch, um, there's, a, there's a term which my friend Russ Dizdar uses uh, quite often, and it's, and it's a Greek term called metaschismatosai. Uh, and what that means is the ability to shape-shift into whatever whatever you desire, whatever you want to become, that's what you can appear as. Uh, we also know from the biblical narrative that apparently that's true, that um, we know that Satan can even appear as an angel of light, which means that that's not his true appearance. That's metaschismatosai. He can change at will into something else. Um, that may be what we are looking at. Look, here's the bottom line, Richard. You know, and I'm not afraid to say I don't know when I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, you know, I've never sat down with an angel, either a good one or a fallen one, and been able to interview. Frankly, I wouldn't want to interview a fallen one. I probably wouldn't make it through the interview. But, I mean, you know, I mean, these questions are, are very interesting, and they're certainly perplexing because it makes one wonder how it happens, how the genetic information is transferred. But the biblical narrative is clear. The book of Enoch is clear that they took wives from whomever they wished, and in the biblical sense, they go into them, which is, and it says this in the Genesis 6 passage, which is, you know, just incredibly bizarre. You know, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also um, afterwards, when, when the sons of God, um, you know, saw the daughters of men uh, and, and went into them. Um, you know, what, what, what are we to make of that? I mean, it's, it's just, it's really extremely bizarre. So the, the idea here is that the, you, you mentioned the flood, and the idea here is, if I'm understanding it correctly, is that the human gene pool was so contaminated, if you will, uh, with the Nephilim and hybrids and only one family, uh, and that would be Noah's family, were not uh, touched by uh, the fallen angels, so they were allowed to survive. So God decided to chlorinate the gene pool but even after the flood, the Nephilim returned. Is that correct? Well, that's, that's what I believe. We call that the second, third, and fourth accursions. Um, and, and I just want to go back another question. Listen to verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. This will answer both questions. When the sons of God, the fallen angelicos, came in unto the daughters of men, and they bear children by them. That is a, that's sexual intercourse. There's no way around that. That is sexual intercourse. Now, how it happens, you know, we don't we don't need to, we don't need to talk about that because we all know how it happens. Um, sperm is meeting ovum, and we all know how that works. And you know, the, again, I, I rely on Metaskis Monsai. They're perhaps they're shape shifting uh, to look like men, or perhaps, and Paul gets into this later. Some, have, some people have entertained angels without knowing that they were angels. So, you know, something's going on here. We don't have all the answers. Some of this stuff is just, I mean, you want to talk about conspiracy stuff. It's cloaked from us. You know, it, and figure it out. We've been here for
for thousands of years, and we're no closer now than ever before. You got to remember something that when when this when this is written, Moses is writing this thousands of years after the events of the flood. He's on Mount Sinai. God's dictating. He's writing. So why would he write um, that there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that? Why would he include and also after that? If, 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 unless there was another incursion. You get what I mean? He's writing... Absolutely. And, of course, we have... After the flood. We have Jesus saying in Matthew, uh, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the final days. We'll come back. Uh, one final segment re, uh, remains with L.A. Marzulli. We will find out what does the modern-day UFO abduction phenomenon have to do with all of what we're talking about. The fallen angels, the Nephilim. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And uh, we are talking with L.A. Marzulli. So let's connect the dots here. This human fallen angel hybrid program that took place prior to the days of Noah, after the days of Noah, what does that have to do with the alien abduction phenomenon? Well, we think it has everything to do with the alien abduction. And I'll tell you the story that I was going to tell you and mentioned, I think, in the first segment. Uh, this was told to me by, by Pastor Mike. Um, but before I get to that story, I will say this, that we believe that these abductions are real, that people are physically taken, sperm is taken from the men, ovum is taken from the woman. It is not delusion, although some of it can be. It's, it's a mixed bag. It's not either or, it's both and. And those who would limit it to one, I think... Um, uh, don't understand the Genesis 6 narrative, or, and frankly, the Jer- Genesis 3 narrative. And certainly when they when they come to the words of Yeshua, as you quoted in the last segment, that'll be like the days of Noah when the Son of Man returns. They don't understand that, with all due respect. So what we've seen, and we show this in Watchers 7 and 8, we have a man who claimed to have been abducted. He claims to have had an implant. Well, we do a whole series of tests on him. Uh, x-rays, CAT scans, Gauss meters. This guy's got this implant in him is a metallic implant. It's giving off a reading on a Gauss meter of 8.0. It's hardcore science. Okay, something is there. It's giving off a radio frequency of 330 hertz. What the heck is that about? It shows up on a stud finder. It shows up on an ultrasound machine. The day we go to take the thing out, there are three camera crews. There's 15 people and watching it on an HD monitor in a waiting room. There's nurses and doctors and all this other stuff going on. And Richard Shaw and I are there. We're filming the whole thing. The patient's there. We figure it's going to take 20 minutes. An hour and 20 minutes goes by. The doctor, Dr. Matriciana, cannot find the object on the ultrasound machine, whereas two weeks prior, the pre-op, when we went in there to make sure it was everything was copacetic, he found the object within less than two minutes, and I'm not exaggerating. An hour and 20 minutes has gone by. Richard, I said one prayer, and it was this after an hour and 20 minutes, and I prayed because I needed to take authority over the room, because I had a little tap on the shoulder from the guy upstairs who said, L.A., you need to take authority over this and do it now. And so I did, and the prayer was simple. It was just this. Father, if there are forces which are cloaking this device, I pray that you would break their power and do it soon. Less than two minutes after that prayer, the object just appears on the ultrasound machine. Everybody goes, whoa, what's that? So the object is real. We took it out. Um, the moment we took it out, it stopped sending signals, the whole thing. We, we, we examined it under an electron, electron scanning microscope um, at, at SEAL Lab with an EDX uh, feature to it, which tells you what it's made from. 
um, the man was abducted, okay? Uh, probably sperm was taken from him, although he doesn't remember that. There is a breeding program. They are trying to create hybrids. Now, here's the deal. And I, I keep hearing more of these, Richard, and they're chilling. Pastor Mike is out for what it, what's called a prayer walk. He's in a park-like setting, a jogging trail, and he's just walking and praying. It's a great way to, you know, kind of work out and pray at the same time. When I run in the morning, that's what I do. And uh, in the distance, he sees a very tall woman running, very athletic-looking, running towards him with striking blondish white hair tied up in a ponytail. Nothing unusual, except she's extremely tall, 6'3", 6'4". But, you know, female basketball players are that tall. So nothing unusual about it, but he's on guard. For some reason, his spider senses are tingling. As she gets closer, um, he begins to pray against her because he can feel the presence of something very, very evil. Uh, When she's about 20 to 30 feet away, he begins to notice her eyes, which are pale blue, very pale blue. And as she gets about 15 feet away, her eyes change from pale blue to solid black. Now, not the white, just the pupils went solid black, okay? Completely black. Oh, dear. He began to verbally, out loud, rebuke her at that point. So now he's in spiritual warfare mode. He's like, he knows what he's dealing with here. He's not, you know, he's not, not caught off guard. He knows exactly what he's dealing with. He begins to rebuke her and tell her in no uncertain terms, any curses or hexes or vexes against me, my family will not. And he's like praying against her. As she runs by him, she turns and growls at him. Now, if that's not a hybrid, I don't know what is. Uh, I don't know what is. Uh, the thing is, Richard, that's not the only one we're getting. We're getting not a lot of them, but there's more than one. Let's put it that way. Well, Dr. David Jacobs, uh, and I believe Bud Hopkins also was in on the Roper poll. They commissioned this poll uh, to try and get a handle on how many uh, Americans may be uh, abductees. And I, I can't remember the uh, the figure. It's something like three percent, I believe, of the total population. Well, what's three hundred? What's three percent of uh, three hundred million Americans? Uh, that's what is that? Ten uh, percent would be thirty. So it's about th- um, what is that? Nine million, something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, three hundred million people. So ten percent, you know, I mean, just just do the math that way. Right. It's a lot of people. So if that's the case, I mean, they're not. It doesn't seem like they're creating a hybrid of elongated skull people or, or, you know, giants that are eight or nine feet tall. But then we have this whole RH negative thing, which is kind of interesting. The, uh, the, um, you know, we, if evolution is correct, we're all supposed to have RH, uh, the protein marker in our blood. And then we have about 10% of the population, which is an interesting figure. It kind of matches up with the Roper poll. 10%, which is RH negative, which might be evidence that, you know, a certain portion are hybrids. What do you make of that? Well, I've heard the whole RH negative deal, and I think it's very easy to start, once you get into that, you start building a case. You know, anybody with RH negative is, uh, has Nephilim blood in them. Um, so I'm, I'm very careful with, with that type of information. Um, on the other hand, when I hear stories from, from Mike and from this other woman, who had an encounter with, with can only be a hybrid being, um, you know, it's something's going on here. And as Dr. Jacob's new book, uh, th- you know, they walk among us, and it's a very chilling account. I'm, I'm almost finished it now, 
and, uh, you know, he's talking about the integration of the hybrids into society. Um, and I, I agree with him. I think it's happening. I don't think there's, like, hundreds of thousands of them, but I think they're starting. I think the Black Eyed Kids that we discussed in our Watchers 5 um, DVDs is sort of the avant-garde, sort of, you know, probing, probing uh, the defenses, checking out, well, what's it like when these guys show up? And, and this is why, look, it's getting really, really weird. I mean, it is. And, um, <laughs> tell me about it. This is just one more, one more in the signs. I, I, I don't have to tell you this, but there, you know, there is this huge chasm uh, within the UFO community, if I can call it that. I hate calling things communities, but let's use that term. You have those people, uh, and I, you and I are in a, in a similar camp. Uh, we have a very different way of looking at the whole UFO, alien, or ET phenomenon. We don't, I don't consider them to be ETs. I consider them to be interdimensional, demonic. Uh, but that does not fly well at a lot of the, you know, the big UFO conferences and so forth. Because you have that, it's a very large contingent, it's probably the majority, uh, that believe that uh, these ETs are enlightened, spiritually enlightened, uh, uh, beings here to save us from ourselves and 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 uh, reform us before they can welcome us into the cosmic neighborhood. Um, what do you say to the to that that group that are out there listening and pshawing everything they're hearing right now? Basically, what I say is, look, that we're not that far apart. Um, if you substitute, as the ancient alien theorist, uh, ancient astronaut theorist on ancient aliens say uh, ad nauseum. We were visited here by, you know, ancient astronauts thousands of years ago. All we need to do, we all know something's going on on the planet. We all know that the pyramids, well, when I say we all know, Zawi Hawass doesn't believe this, but the Great Pyramid was not built by the Egyptians. Saksebaman was not built by, by the Inca. I mean, it just wasn't. Um, that those huge megalithic stones weighing 120 tons each from a quarry 40 miles away were not carved and, and schlepped by llamas by the Inca. It didn't happen. Something is going on on the planet. We've been visited. And all one needs to do, that's what I mean. We're not that far apart. What's interesting is the, the biblical prophetic narrative states exactly what is going on, which is the fallen angelic host of heaven. When you say angel, that people immediately have these preconceived notions. Throw them out the door. These are powerful, powerful entities. And when they appear, most people are paralyzed, do face plants, can't even function. And we see this exactly happening in the UFO abductee phenomenon. So I'm, what I'm saying is it's not that, we're not that far apart. You, instead of saying ancient astronaut, just substitute um, fallen angelic host. You know, that's, and in fact, it, what, I, what I'll do is if, if I'm at a MUFON conference, which is very rare, but sometimes they have me in, I'll just say, look, let's just call them the intruders, because that's what they are. You know, and, and, and in a classic sense, a fallen angel is an extraterrestrial. So we're talking about the same thing. Because in a classic sense, the fallen angel's home is not the Earth. Therefore, it is an extraterrestrial. Excellent point. L.A., always a pleasure. Great talking to you again. Take care. All right. When we come back, there'll be more good stuff. I can tell you that. The website, again, strangeplanet.ca. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T. As always, follow the truth. 